0: Welcome to Two Hypnotherapists Talking with me, Denise Billen mejia in Delaware, USA.
1: And me, Martin Ferber in Preston, UK.
0: This weekly podcast is for anyone and everyone who would like to know more about the fascinating subject of hypnosis and the benefits it offers.
1: I'm a clinical hypnotherapist and psychotherapist.
0: I'm a retired medical doctor turned consulting hypnotist.
1: We are Two Hypnotherapists Talking. So let's get on with the episode. Hi there, welcome to another edition of Two Hepnotherapists talking with myself, Martin Ferber, and my good friend and colleague, Denise Billimer here.
0: And that's me, hi everybody. And today we're introducing Dr. Sue Peacock in the UK, who is a health psychologist, and she's gonna explain exactly what that is for the Americans, (laughs) because we don't call people that, (laughs) and uh, also talk about her special interest, which is pain and anxiety. So thank you, Sue. It's so nice of you to join us today.
2: Thank you very much for asking me, Sonona. Thank you.
0: So can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Yeah. Where Where are you in the
2: UK? Are you South or North? Um, I'm sort of, well, I have two clinics. Well, I'm online really at most of the time at the minute, but pre-COVID I had a clinic in Milton Keynes and a clinic in Bedford. Mm-hmm. So I guess... Bedford is probably about fifty miles north of London, I guess. And mm-hmm. Milton Keynes a wee bit further. Um, Milton Keynes is probably best known as being one of the cities between Cambridge and Oxford. It's kind of midway. So, so that's 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 where I am. Okay. Um, yeah, I've been a psychologist for twenty-five years now. Um, I worked in the NHS for over 20 years and about five years ago I went into private practice which is fabulous lots of freedom and I can see who I like and (laughs) and uh, (laughs) choose how I treat people so it's fabulous yeah
0: that's great so what what differentiates a health psychologist from what we in the states will call a clinical psychologist
2: yeah in in the UK there's lots of different branches of of, of psychology Um, and health psychology is, is a relatively new discipline in terms of of of, of speciality, I guess. Um, I tend to specialise in physical health. Um, so a lot of the patients I will see will be chronic pain patients, um, people with cancer or, or those who are living beyond cancer. Um, I see a lot of respiratory patients. Um, yeah, anybody who's got a long term health condition is really the people that I see. I also see quite a lot of people with, with insomnia and then, mm-hmm. you know, the insomnia is actually secondary to, to the health condition right. that they have. Um, or,
0: or perhaps causing it because yeah. sleep deficits can cause so many problems. Yeah.
2: Absolutely.
0: Yeah. yeah. How did you become interested in, in hypnosis?
2: Yeah. Hypnosis has always been one of those strange things that kind of fascinated me, really. You know, having seen it on tv like most people before you even delve into it I really first got interested was I was working in a pain clinic in a, in a sort of a local general kind of hospital and you know the, the techniques like that were taught like CBT which you know is is a good therapy for some but it's not it's not like for everybody and that was kind of back in the day before acceptance and commitment therapy and all of these other things and mindfulness and all of that have come out Um, so it was about trying to do the best for my patients really and trying to find what something that worked for them that was going to make their lives a little bit better whether we could get rid of the pain or whether we could just turn it down so it was manageable so they could get on with their lives even Mm. of going out and having a cup of tea with friends and, and not being sort of socially isolated or some of them were able to do voluntary work or go back to some kind of paid work or just you know Get their lives back, really. and, of,
0: and of course being isolated makes pain worse Absolutely. <laughs> you've yeah. got nothing to distract you from the pain no,
2: no it's, it's one of the reasons why we set up a support group um because mm-hmm. what we used to find was we used to we we, we run we used to run a a, a Pain management program which back in the day was very much cbt now is more sort of acceptance commitments but back back then it was CBT.
0: And actually if i could just stop you there that that's not a term i'm familiar with it's probably called something else over here yeah. <laughs> could you yeah.
2: just briefly a little a little segue talk about that for yeah. a second so, c- cognitive behavior therapy is, is basically right. um, it's about changing the way we see things right
0: it? well that that's a term very much used in the states but yeah. but the other one the acceptance acceptance
2: and commitment theory that that's for basically a what they call a third wave cbt so it's kind of building uh-huh. cbt but it's more about acceptance and and looks at the values that that you hold and, and how they can inter- you can use those to build a meaningful life dis- despite pain oh okay yeah so so what we used to find was after about five years people would come back not because their pain was any better or any worse they just wanted to validate their pain really so we Mm -hmm. sort of set up this support group was still going about 19 years later um, yeah it's quite good um but um so yeah so what we found with that that wasn't really a medically psychology thing I can't do the odd talk and that but morely we guess speakers in who are, you know into gardening and quizzes and and sort of social things so so mm-hmm. people could get get their lives back and have friends, but it was like friends who understood pain. exactly I think, I I think, think that's yeah it. it wasn't going to be the end of the world you know they they'd mm-hmm. the next day to see how they were but <laughs> they wouldn't stop pullingling mm-hmm. like friends with pain without pain used used to do yeah. So that was quite good and got people out and it, you know at least once a month they didn't think about their pain so mm. we, we sort yeah. of just laugh and joke and you know have fun.
1: So did you find that um, people readily adapted to a supportive atmosphere of group therapy as opposed to you know my pain's worse than your pain type of thing? Or... Yeah yeah
2: it's interesting because when they used to first start on the pain management program we used to have a, a, a kind of a rule that they weren't going to talk about their pain. They could come and talk to me or my colleagues they mm-hmm. could talk in the group about their mm. pain you know they do have those pain competitions don't mm. they? I've had medication you've had that da, 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 da. you know so we so because they'd all been on the pain management program first there was kind of this unsaid rule that we didn't really talk about our pain in the support group mm-hmm. so it was it, it kind of tra- you know transferred that you know if I was there and they wanted to talk about the pain they'd come and talk to me but they wouldn't Sort of take call and and tell everybody about about their pain. So, so that mm-hmm. worked quite well. Yeah.
1: So like the whole run of the meeting would be a big distraction from pain. Then either. yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And that so once a month,
0: once a month
2: meeting, yeah, once a month. And then when they got a little bit braver, some of them who liked arts and crafts and that kind of thing set up their own little group. um so, Good. Yeah, it's good. It's really good that they kind of felt that they had the confidence to to do it. So they have now. They've got once once a fortnight, there's the, the craft group. And then the other fortnight is, is the general support group. So there's at least two things. And lots of them have got little groups within the support group, if you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. So they'll meet for coffee and go to houses and go for walks. And some of them go to disability swimming sessions together and all that kind of stuff.
0: I would imagine that that allows them because they know that everybody understands chronic pain and how how it can disrupt your life. If you call and say I can't make it this week, you don't have you don't get the sort of the eye rolled from oh you again in your pain. Yeah, absolutely, <laughs> because it
2: does. Yeah, it's exhausting. That in itself is exhausting. Absolutely, I'm trying to justify it all the time, and then feeling really bad, and then you start saying no because you don't go out because you don't want to let people down. So having this group of people who understand. Is, is really
0: mm-hmm. helpful yeah yeah so where did you train first where, where how did you first since since this is two hypnotherapists yeah, talking yeah. we're going to go on about the hypnosis but please yeah. if you want to talk about something else go ahead but but my real question is where where did you take your first when did you first did you did you read in general first and then decide that you wanted to look at a particular
2: author or no i just what i first off did was was um i i just looked i think i just did a google search to be honest about hypnotherapy and training Uh and then i saw this one that was it was a sort of a slightly shortened version for um healthcare professionals Uh and so uh yeah it was about 10 weekends i think 12 weekends something like that once a month um which I've since le- since learned that isn't that short at all, compared <laughs> 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 to others. Um, so yeah, so 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 I did that really, and and then you, you had this sort of option of once you kind of got your diploma, you, you had this option of doing an advanced diploma, which was more kind of research. Not really research. Well, I don't, it was more sort of looking at the ethics of, of it all and and the mm-hmm. things. So that that was quite interesting. And then, as I said, about five years ago, I did a, a far more practical one. Which, for me, gave me the confidence to use it much more. Mm -hmm. You know, just give it a go and see what happens. In in a typical, not that there's
0: that many typical patients, but somebody who's been sent to you or or somehow wound up at your door now that you're no longer within the NHS, uh, but presumably somebody said, I know this psychologist, she'll probably be able to help you with your pain. What would be the first thing you would offer them? obviously you have an intake which is probably longer than the 20 minutes that martin and i do to make sure that
2: it's not too i I I guess my first session is probably well they're all roughly an hour um Mm -hmm. i I guess the first session like you say is the intake finding out about the pain what's it like how long they've had it what medications they're on who else are they seeing all that kind of stuff what Mm -hmm. what what what, um what's the biggest impact on their life what what areas of life is, is it affecting and then you know, my last you, question tends to be uh, is it excuse me is there a lot of secondary agenda stuff um i would say no i think that's thinking about the time in the pain clinic there's probably <laughs> only about two people that we've ever thought that about and it was quite funny mm-hmm. because the, the consultant that i used to work with the she was an anaesthetist and um yeah, she's retired now, bless her, but she was great. Um, and we, we had this lady outside our room once. And, and well all NHS clinics run late, don't we? And we know was notoriously always running late in our clinics because we spent time talking to people and listening. <laughs> and everyone who, who kind of was a regular kind of knew that, so it was fine, they didn't mind too much. But there was this one lady who was a new lady once, and she was getting really upset, and the nurse kept coming in, said, you've got to hurry up, you've got to see this lady, she's in tears, she's in tears. So we kind of juggled things and got her in sooner. And you know, she she seemed reasonably genuine, like you know, as best she can. Mm-hmm. And you know, my colleague thought the same. And then, as soon as we had finished, we, we looked out the window and saw her literally sprinting up the hill, <laughs> running for a bus. Oh. <laughs>
0: well, that that wouldn't be what I would refer to as secondary agenda. Then that would be sort of fraud. <laughs> but, but, and on the other hand, maybe your session was so fabulous she yeah, felt really. so much better. <laughs> yeah I was thinking more of people that the the agendas that people don't realize they have oh they don't realize that they gain a lot of other sympathy I mean it runs out but there is yeah Um, I think it stops the kids moving to Australia because mum's sick that kind of stuff
2: there's there's a few of those but to be fair I don't know that I've seen many of them I think mm -hmm. I think because of the nature, of, particularly of, of pain clinics in the UK, because it takes so absolutely ages to even get there, I think all that's mm. kind of gone and all the sympathies been left behind years ago. Um, so I, I I don't very often see, even even in my practice now, but I guess that's because of the people that refer to me, I don't see people who have had pain for like a year or so very often. It's not mm-hmm. people have had pain for 7, eight, nine, 10, 20 years
0: now do you feel that that's a failing of the system do you think we would it would be better if we could interrupt that cycle a little earlier in
2: this? absolutely yes which is one of the good things about what's starting to develop over here is they are having pain services and primary care um, mm-hmm. so that's that's a good good thing if if they're run properly and and uh, uh, multidisciplinary i think mm-hmm. Would be good and you know i think that's starting to happen now so i think that is one positive thing that, that mm-hmm. is changing
0: do you to be in a pain clinic do you have to know the origin of the pain
2: no not necessarily i think okay. um i think it's one of those things isn't it pain is so personal it, you know you could be referred pain could know it? it could be mm-hmm because you've got pain in your back doesn't necessarily mean it's coming from your back. It could be yeah. or something, couldn't it? So we didn't necessarily always have to have a, a set diagnosis as such. And even now I I see people who just tell me they've got pain. So we don't have like, a, a, you know, a, a set diagnosis of I don't know, arthritis or whatever. It's just very, it's just pain. And mm-hmm. even those ones who come to me who... Do the doctor shopping thing you know trying to mm-hmm. find a, you know they keep going around don't they till they hope to find something that's going to you know ma- this magic cure for them um you know even they might mar- they'll say oh, i've got this diagnosis this diagnosis and i say let's just call it pain that's fine is <laughs> <laughs> you've got chronic pain i like because to I- write
0: less <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> do, you, <laughs> do you uh do many of your patients clients we have to call them clients here but you you as a a licensed physician physician a licensed doctor of psychology you can call them patients uh do you um do you see many who are on opioids or other pain medications as well yes yeah okay
2: yeah um yeah but obviously that that works quite well in pain clinics because you have the, the, the doctors and the nurses so that, mm-hmm. that quite a good referral system you know you can say well can you go and see you know, the doctor the nurse they want to reduce mm-hmm. the patient um for now um what I tend to do is if they've been referred quite a lot of my 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 patients clients are, are referred by pain doctors so I've this you know write to them and say yeah we have done some therapy we've done this we've done that whatever their their pains you know improved now I think you need can can please could you consider reducing their medication and and, you know leave it to them because obviously they do the medication and you know have to be respectful of that. Um,
0: When you're seeing clients do you find it equivalent to be working online or in person or do you find one works better than the other or does it just depend on the client?
2: I think it depends on the client. It's it's an interesting question, isn't it? Really, because before COVID, I would never have dreamed of working online
0: mm-hmm.
2: at all. And he got said, No, no, as soon as I can go back to my clinic, that's what I'm going to do. <laughs> um, but it's interesting because most I keep now now and again I say to my clients, if I went back to clinic, would you do you prefer to see me They're there? And they'll say, well, we like to see you, but we prefer it like this because you know it's it's quicker. You know, there's no parking issues. There's no time ah. to get there.
1: Mm. I think um, anybody who's suffering with anything that's stress related they're, they're quite happy to see you know to see yeah. people online
2: right I was um, really surprised because I you
1: say you know there isn't no, there isn't the traveling problem the parking up which is always stressful and, and the expense
2: yeah and then you know some of my chronic pain patients not like I encourage this you know turn up in their pajamas online <laughs> and... <laughs> so I know it's going to be it's a bad day when they've turned up in their pajamas but you know um, but, you know, they haven't had to have that, that stress and that pain if it's a bad day of, of, of getting dressed and getting washed and whatever to, to come out. So.
0: Right. And therefore, they may not have to miss the appointment, whereas physically yeah. they might have had to. You
2: yeah. Know. Yeah. Um, so so I think there's there's good and bad. I've, I've, I've definitely got much more used to it. Um, like I say, everyone's quite happy online at the minute. I'm kind of getting a little bit of cabin fever sitting in my back bedroom for so long. But, you know, <laughs> <so>. <laughs> Did you actually close down your clinics, or do you still? I, I, I sort of. I've still got the the one in Milton Keynes is is still going, and I still mm-hmm. do. I, I don't actually physically go there, but I still see people there, kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, my Bedford clinic, because it was a it was a room in in a house, and that the house got sold, so I haven't actually got that room anymore. Ah, okay. Uh, and I eventually go back. Well, when the when the demands there to to go back to face to face, I shall be looking for somewhere else. But I'll probably. Have the, the there's a, there's a, the, where I, my clinic is in Monkins it's a private hospital, and they've got one in sort of Bedford way. So I'll probably hopefully get a room there. hmm.
1: So, could how I many... oh, sorry, go on. Please. No, no. How,
0: how many clients do you see on an average day? I, I assume it was quite a lot when you are under the NHS. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, in the NHS it's quite a lot, but to be fair, it's just as, probably just as much now. I, um, I probably see between, I try not to see more than seven a day.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Uh, occasionally, it's a few more, but not by choice. <laughs> it's more of an
0: hour at an hour a person
2: plus all the paperwork. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's a fair bit. That's a fun. long day. Yeah. yeah, I try not to work Fridays. I try and keep Fridays as my admin day, but um, mm-hmm. but you know, I, I am mean, it's my least favorite bit of the job, so I can easily be distracted from that. <laughs> <laughs>
0: What's the most interesting client you've seen, do you think?
2: I think, oh, there's been so many over the years. Um,
0: I mean, interesting from a clinical perspective. Everybody's an interesting sure, person because they're all unique. <laughs> but I, think,
2: I think from an interesting point of view, um, as in interesting to us, I saw a young girl who was about 17. I don't often see young people. I usually see sort of adults. Um. She was about 17 and I only saw her because nobody else would really so I okay mm-hmm. her then. Um, she'd basically been involved in, in a road traffic accident. I don't know if you know Milton Keynes but it's notorious for roundabouts. roundabouts. <laughs> it's called Whiplash City because there's so many <laughs> roundabouts. Um, you know I've had an accident of one of the roundabouts but anyway um but yeah so she she was a young girl she she'd had an accident basically she they uh, she was in the family car and she was in the back seat and they'd come round a roundabout and a car had basically gone into them and long story cut short she'd got back pain um and and trauma got post-traumatic stress type mm-hmm. from, from from the accident she was the driver no no she was passing. Um... Yeah, I think it's her mum who was the driver, um, and yeah, she was she was interesting because when she came to me, she was a very kind of stereotypical pain patient, very gingerly walking about, not really, mm-hmm. not really bending, kind of rigid, and mm-hmm. had had done the physio, had done the whatever. You know, you know how they tend to have to do the rounds before they get to people. Right, <laughs> excuse me um so yeah so she came. she came to me and we had a bit of a chat and we 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 looked at the the, the pain how it's impacting her life she was she was supposed to be doing her a levels but she would she wasn't doing her a levels because she was off school um she was absolutely terrified to go in the car every time she went in the car she screamed and the, apparently her poor mom the first appointment that she came to me, she came from luton to, to milton Keynes, which is tons of ways about 20 25 miles or something i think and um yeah probably a wee bit further but, but anyway but she literally apparently screamed the whole way because she was so terrified about being in, in the car so we kind of had a you know the initial chat as as, as we do and um it, it really emerged that her pain was almost secondary to to the the post-traumatic stress mm-hmm. stuff. so we did some emdr on on her for the for the for the trauma and that, what was interesting was we did that and the pain lessened and then we did some hypnosis and the pain went. So we had about five, six sessions, I guess. Mm-hmm. And yeah. And then I, I normally you know email them a couple of months afterwards, say, hey, how you doing kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And yeah, she she had gone back to school and was studying her A-levels and what was more incredible was she was actually learning to drive. So it was just yeah, Great. Great um and she got her life back on track and you know for somebody yeah. saying that, it was is a really big thing for her so oh, that
1: was interesting that's yeah, wonderful that's a great success story sue yeah. just for the benefit of our listeners because we're, mm-hmm. we're appealing to everybody can we just enlighten them as to what EMDR oh, may be yeah.
2: um, think about this now. Yeah, no no it's fine <laughs> no. I, I always regard EMDR
1: <laughs> as a type of hypnotherapy anyway yeah. you know,
2: it stands for Eye Movement Desensitisation and, and Reprocessing. And and basically, it's a, a nice guidelines treatment for, for, for trauma. And I'm not sure anybody really knows how it works. It seems to be quite, quite vague because I do, like you say, think a lot of it is, is quite hypnotic. Really. Mm. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the nice thing about it is you don't have to keep reliving the trauma and keep talking about it, whereas uh, CBT for trauma. You kind of talk about it, talk about it, talk about it, talk about, it, talk about it. Then you whereas Ian EMDR- and then
0: come back the next session and say it all over again. Yeah,
2: yeah, and just amplify it even more. <laughs> I, I was so so glad that I, I could have for better things than that. <laughs> so yeah, so so yeah, that that that's 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 what we did, and and you know over time she we we sort of did, you know a, bit, a little bit of graded exposure stuff as well. Wow. Um, and yeah, it, it was just really nice to get this email back to tell me that she's started her driving lessons.
1: Fantastic. Great. So can, can I just take you a little bit back to earlier in this conversation? Um, just because we're coming up to Cofton's and season at the moment, you mentioned hypnotherapy and respiratory conditions. You know, mm-hmm. perhaps, I don't know, asthma, COPD, bronchiectasis, that type of thing. Yeah, yeah. Can, can we talk about that a little bit? Because I think some of our listeners and viewers may find that really beneficial.
2: Yeah, I think for a lot of people, as as we've kind of alluded to earlier, with with long term health conditions, a lot of it is about anxiety of of mm. the condition and and fear of of making it worse. And I think because when people get um, anxious, like they hold their body quite quite stiffly, don't they? And, mm. and it's in the kind of a, a naturally protective kind of way. And because they're holding themselves so tight and so stiff, they probably can't even breathe properly to start with. Mm-hmm. So we do quite a lot of re- relaxation stuff. Um we do quite a lot of this this is quite fun, but quite childish, but it's quite fun. We 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 get um, you know, um bubbles that you had as a kid with the little wand and washing up mm-hmm. we do quite a lot of that, yeah, because we're all naturally really competitive aren't we so we always blow the biggest bubbles that we can so and, and in relaxations the outward breath is the longer breath. Mm. So, so we, we you know when I used to see people in person we would be blowing bubbles together in clinic. <laughs> <It's> <laughs> quite fun good job nobody came in really because they'd look and think like she's gone mad at <laughs> But But that was quite good. Part of me because it was relaxing partly because for, for a lot of people it evoked the times of, of being a kid when life was fairly straightforward and and, and quite stress-free and they're
0: smiling mm. it just lifts that just you know that smiling and laughing really does make you feel better yeah, yeah.
2: And we we always try and laugh because like laughter is the best medicine really isn't it you know and mm-hmm. again it makes you breathe deeper doesn't it so it's also another good reason exactly. for those kind of things um so yeah we 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 try and have fun in my sessions Mm, sounds like it kind of serious and suited and booted but we did have fun
1: (laughs) Mm. yeah i'm just thinking from sort of from um attacking the problem from two angles because we're we're breathing difficulties um was uh, somebody with asthma and copd myself um i know when i first started to learn hypnotherapy being hypnotized just the act of the breaths following what the hypnotist is telling you is in that moment is helping you because it's a breathing exercise yeah yeah and, yeah. and then the long term effects of it afterwards as well of course as you say with stress reduction with yeah. holding yourself better
2: yes with, yeah brings your blood pressure better. down
1: yeah yeah absolutely
2: and i think you breathe properly don't you when, when you're in hypnotherapy you you don't do that chest breathing thing like we all do do but you kind of mm. breathe like we're supposed to so it's it's much more relaxing isn't it and we learn to breathe better and,
1: deeper mm, and to breathe better. out more slowly
2: yeah yes but while we use the bubbles yeah mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> I'll start sending it right now for your session please get a bottle of bubbles
2: <laughs>
1: <laughs> I'm talking about something else you mentioned earlier Sue so, um, and I know you've, you've just come on here to have a chat with us Mm. But I need to mention something now because you mentioned long COVID, and I know you've co authored a book on long COVID, haven't you?
2: Yes. So I'm yes. going to
1: put a slide on it at the end. Thank you. No, no problem. It, what is it, coping with long COVID? Mm,
2: hang on. Look, Have you got a copy
1: it. handy? Oh, where is it? I've
2: got one somewhere.
1: You
0: disappear into the imaginary <laughs> wilderness <laughs> behind you.
2: Like <Culture>.
1: Tinkerbell <laughs> in the woods there.
2: <laughs> I don't know if see it. Uh,
1: that's
0: hold fine. it for No, more. it's good. Yeah, no, it's good. with
1: long COVID, yeah. It's Fabulous. Put
0: it in front of you because it's... Oh, you're just showing it for my... Yes, that's it.
1: Yep. Excellent. Fabulous. Yeah. I, I will put a slide with the actual cover of the book oh. on at the end of the video for people. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Thank um, you. As I say, I, 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 well, I've i got a copy of the book. That's why I remembered it. Awesome.
2: <laughs> Thank, you. Thank you for buying it.
0: <laughs> Actually, COVID also gave us all um, a, an additional... Area of it. not that it wouldn't have been useful anyway, but so many people have, have needle phobia. Yeah. It's another it's another area that nurses can so much help.
2: Oh yeah. yeah, yeah, absolutely. Before long, COVID, I I part of my sessions in the hospital were in the cancer unit, and we we used oh, yeah to, yeah for for you know when people used to come in and need their chemo and whatever, and they have a little bit of a meltdown. So I quite often get paged. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> If you're not in clinic, can you? Find <laughs> so yeah, and, really? and you know, I, I did teach one of the nurses down there a little bit of hypotherapy. Mm-hmm. Just so I wasn't there because she she was all you know. I, I literally really had one day a week was contracted there, so that wasn't really. really, mm-hmm.
1: really bad I mean, th- that would be an incredibly strong fear to have if you were having chemo for cancer, yeah, and exactly. your fear of that needle is greater than your fear of cancer. Yeah, that is a strong yeah. fear.
2: Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So yeah, I think you know, with a, a few little you know, hypnosis techniques and a little bit of singing and a bit of tapping and a bit of everything, and yeah, mm-hmm. we could get the needle in. Singing was surprisingly good. Not that I'm a good singer at all. <laughs> <laughs> it's breathing again. <laughs> yeah, breathing. Absolutely, yeah. breathing. Yeah. So so yeah. So it was quite nice to teach one of the nurses a few sort of basic techniques. So that that was helpful yeah because like I say she's there all the time um, so she could she could deal with most people if I was in clinic or whatever.
1: So Sue so just from a personal point of view because you've worked in the NHS and you work privately we all know that the NHS is it the nice website where they recommend hypnotherapy for IBS and, and for other things as well but the NHS don't fund or provide hypnotherapy where, where do you see it going and where would you personally like to see it going?
2: I think there's probably a few people like me when I worked in the NHS who would use it and never realised until mm. I used to get my clinic letters. <laughs> so, <laughs> um I I like to think that they're becoming more enlightened. Um I think I think because there's more evidence base about it now, isn't there? There is some decent um mm. decent research, especially by that guy in America called Mark Jensen, I think he's called. He does some really quite. I think he's called. I've got his book somewhere. Yeah, Mark Jensen. Um, he's done some really quite quite good research around chronic pain, and I think you know there's lots of researchers there, about IBS. And I think mm-hmm. if people took the time to look, there is actually you know sort of an epic thing, isn't it? But there is quite a lot of evidence out there. So um, I think if I think you probably could make a case. If, if you can I think if you're working in the, in, in the NHS already and you wanted to addition to say your pain clinic or whatever, I think probably not the pain clinics not the best one to all, really because they're always under resourced cancer services. So um mm-hmm. yeah, they're, they're probably you could make a case, I would guess, for for some kind of cancer services, perhaps.
0: I remember when uh, one of my relatives was going through treatment for cancer. This is quite a while back. Mm-hmm. They had a lot of services because the wait time you'd go in you get your blood work you have to wait around so, so you would see the social worker and this person and that person but they had aromatherapy yeah and yeah. a whole a lot of things so i i don't see why it wouldn't be incorporated at that yeah. level it would be useful
2: yeah i think it'd be really useful i think there are some places that do do that i know mm-hmm. that some hospices definitely do that i know my local hospice you it really Does now, but it definitely used to offer hypnotherapy and aromatherapy and all sorts of sort of alternative. Mm. No, yeah, no, just
0: not alternative because there's no alternative to. Mm-hmm. Yes, mm-hmm.
2: complementary is good. <laughs> yes. I mean, when I went like... to the pain clinic, we used to do um reflexology and acupuncture and all things like that. um Sadly, when the nurse retired, they didn't get anybody to do the reflexology again. But we we always had acupuncture and things like that. But... Mm-hmm. Um, so I think I think well-funded services like like cancer services, whether they agree with that they're well-funded or not, I don't. <laughs> From my in comparison to a pain clinic, they're well. They're mm-hmm. Um, I think they could probably make case. I like to think that in the future, that more people will be kind of a little bit like me and, and learn new, new techniques for to, to, to give to offer a choice to, to the to patient's clients, so they
0: can a, a lot of a lot of it is just exposure we don't talk about it at, at early enough in training for people to realize it I have uh, one client who has a seizure disorder and so I see her physically I'd, almost all of my clients I see online um, but a local doc, her local doctor who's an easy walk for me <laughs> so I'm, I'm seeing her over at their office and i had a bit they had a big meeting with all all of the staff from clinic on their admin day um, about you know the fact that i was going to be around you know i was actually i was allowed but in the back uh, <laughs> that sort of thing. and one of the the uh, the nurse practitioner who who does the um reproductive services who does uh places iud like Oh, would it work for this because and I, yeah want me to teach you <laughs> oh really
2: <laughs> i could learn this yes you could learn this <laughs> it's, it's, it's just such a big world of, of, of opportunity isn't there that mm-hmm. you know need, needs to be filled
0: right but first,
1: we have to get it recognised and, and get away from the pocket watches and the cloaks and yep. the yep. Mm-hmm. stuff. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Can I just clarify the niche? You're not talking about an, a hypnotic IUD, there, are you? In the same way? That no, no. I am, gram, I am talking about. Actual, hard <laughs> I don't that would work.
0: I would not recommend it. No.
1: No. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Although there are hypnotists who work in fertility on the other side. Ah, yeah, yeah. Way. <laughs> but but um, yeah, it, it is to 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 deal with the fear of pain yeah. which is associated with the procedure. It's a very simple procedure. I mean, yeah, it's a theory
1: of invasion as well, I would imagine. It's a very personal procedure. Yes. yes.
0: Yes. So and there are probably a thousand other things that would be useful in that clinic setting.
2: Yeah. Well good you'll be there because you can spread the word.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well we've got to get through the attorneys. Yes <laughs> there's all sorts of legal things but i am allowed to at least see this one client there and talk to the staff
1: so it's okay (laughs)
2: it's a starting point
1: yes it's a starting point
2: exactly and i guess for
1: me it's just like a a mission to get hypnotherapy accepted as other talking therapies are accepted you know or as EMDR is accepted as you say with EMDR they're they're not exactly quite sure how it works and the same could be said of hypnotherapy we know Mm -hmm. it brings down stress and helps anything that's exacerbated by stress we know it's good for dealing with for distracting for building you know new positive thinking processes but this I I still don't think you can summarize the whole thing in a paragraph of exactly how it works though
2: no I don't think so I think there's there's so many there's so many different angles to it isn't there and I think there's I think probably most people respond differently depending on Mm what they bring bring to your clinic Mm
1: -hmm. okay really controversial question then because you're both doctors and i'm not i'm just a therapist (laughs) okay dr denise uh, hypnotherapy pseudoscience yes or no
0: absolutely not pseudoscience lots of evidence that it works
1: (laughs) (laughs) pseudoscience yes or no no i
2: don't think so
1: no great (laughs) you know it doesn't matter what i think because i'm not a doctor
2: No,
0: i i think there's a, a tendency for people to make up things in order to I make mean, it's like when you talk about the theory of mind you know mm. obviously it's a model <laughs> we don't have oh look this is the mind we can't do that but you have to explain things somehow mm. this is the way i'm explaining it today it's not It's just not that simple we don't understand where our awareness where our conscious you know it's not it's not this little box in your brain remember back in the day when we thought that memories were just in little tiny bits of you know little box and if you got that little box got disturbed you that memory was gone forever it's just so much more complicated so much more interesting that and yet you don't need to know that to do hypnosis or to or to use hypnosis because all hypnosis is self-hypnosis for us to teach our patients or clients depending on which side of the planet you're on as so what you can call them um, you don't have to know the science of it or worry about the research in order for them to receive the benefit that the research is fascinating <laughs> it certainly will guide new uses of hypnosis but it's way less important than getting the word out that this is something that is an incredibly cost-effective way of dealing with fear and anxiety and pain yeah.
1: and a lot of other things too but
0: fear anxiety and pain that covers
1: <laughs> most of it yeah, and it's, it's also a therapy that makes you feel really good as opposed okay. to what we we're discussing earlier with some talking therapies where you're just revisiting the trauma time after time week after week this is a therapy i think I, we could all agree calmly that when our clients patients leave us at the end of a the session they feel better than when they arrive they leave, they leave mm-hmm. feeling better yes yeah yeah, yeah. Okay. now that of
0: course we do need to there's there, no one there's no 100 of anything and mm. it's no it doesn't work for everyone anybody who wishes to be hypnotized will probably be hypnotized <laughs> because it's a natural phenomenon but it may take a session or two for their them to bring their defenses down enough that they're able to fully join into the into the proceedings um but it it's just it, it makes me so furious that i didn't learn this 40 years ago when i was graduating from medical school i should have known this then it would have been so useful in the emergency room especially with small children because they're so, so, they're a little walking hypnotised people. It <laughs> would have been so easy.
1: <laughs> so, getting back to pain for a minute. Do, do you have, obviously you can't mention specific examples, but have you had the experience then of people coming off long-term um, painkillers, you know, the, the, um, the strong stuff, and hypnotherapies help them to either wean them off slowly or get them off or however you do it?
2: Yeah, I think hypnotherapy, uh, i thinking about some, some some examples kind of over the years, I think what's what's the challenge is the, the client patient believing that they can come off them, is
1: mm-hmm.
2: <laughs> actually agreeing for them to come off them, although saying that, that is getting a little bit better now because there's this big thing about getting people off op- opioids, mm. um, they shouldn't be on really, but anyway. That's a whole whole other debate, probably. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um So yes, I have I have seen people over the years re- reduce off of off of um, opioid medication, and there is a few that don't take any medication, and a few that haven't got any pain at all. Um Whether that's down to hypnosis, or whether it's down to setting the seed with hypnosis, and they've just got on with their lives, and they've got so much in their lives now, it's still there, but they don't notice it. I, I don't know.
1: Mm-hmm. You know, has hypnotherapy been helpful with people who are perhaps having withdrawal symptoms from opioids?
2: Not I necessarily
1: think... the pain coming back or the pain worsening, all the symptoms of you know associated with dependency.
2: I think a lot of it it would, would be around the anxiety aspects of mm. it and the the fear of coming off, the fear of withdrawal. Um, I think quite a lot of it is about education, isn't it? When mm. they're coming. not not necessarily on my part because I don't know huge amounts about the medication but the the doctor particularly particularly pain clinic doctors you know Mm. they take time or the nurses to to talk them through a withdrawal program Um, so I think my end would be more about dealing with the anxiety and 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 stress and worry of of coming off
1: and, Mm.
2: and making sure that they feel confident in in their pain strategies pain coping strategies enough to be confident that they can come off the medication
0: Mm. i I think that is worth i think it's worth mentioning that because we we teach people how to do this for themselves it's not like go to you every two weeks so that i don't have pain every two weeks and then it wears off and then i have to go to you again no eventually you will learn enough of the techniques that you'll be able to do this for yourself and it has a has a a domino effect oh look I'm going to the dentist it
2: works there too oh I'm doing <laughs> yeah it's incredible isn't it and, and when people realize how powerful it is and ooh, like you say the different things they can use it for it, it's just great yeah
0: mm-hmm. it's interesting to me also that it's pretty much accepted that we, we use this in childbirth now or at least nobody's surprised to hear that somebody used hypnosis, and yet they don't seem they, they're
2: absolutely stunned that you can have a dental
0: procedure under hypnosis.
2: I know, I know, and what's worse? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's incredible, isn't it? I think even in the NHS, they're teaching some of the sort of hypnobirthing techniques to, to some midwives. Um, so you know, I think. I think that's quite encouraging in a way of getting hypnosis into, into the NHS. We're a very structured kind of way. It's not a very mm. basis like we would see people if they come to our clinics. But but I guess it's a start, isn't it? It's becoming more acceptable. So that that's can, can be a good thing.
1: We're going to have to leave it there for today. We're out of time. But can I just, uh, oh, sorry, can Denise and I both extend our warmest thanks to you, Sue, for coming on here? um it's brilliant. brilliant we're helping dispel the myths about hypnosis and we're trying to get the word out there so thank you for well thanks for joining us and being and
0: here. and uh people are able to self refer to you or do they need to refer through they can they can refer. okay so watch closely there'll be an end card that will give you details for contacting Sue Dr Sue Peacock <laughs> thank you so much Susan thank, thank, thank you
1: yeah thanks see you next week Denise
0: okay We hope you've enjoyed listening. Please remember this podcast is designed to give you an insight into therapeutic hypnosis and is for educational purposes only, so remember, consult with your own healthcare professional if you think something you've heard may apply to you or a loved one.
1: If you found this episode useful, you can apply for free continuing professional development or CME credits using the link provided in the show notes. Feel free to contact either of us through the links in the show notes. Join us again next week.